We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Welcome into another Three Ma. I am John Kurtz, joined as I am each and every week by Derek Young from K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury, and it is Sunflower Showdown preview time, folks. It has been a stressful week for your boy. You can ask these guys about the stupid texts that I've been sending them all week between freaking out about coaching rumors, between freaking out about K-State secondary, between freaking out about the Kansas game in general. Uh, maybe we can even sprinkle in a little bit of like, uh, what's what's going on with the Sugar Bowl situation here? I mean, there's just too much going on, guys. There's too much going on. We're going to unpack it all here on the show, which, of course, is brought to you by our friends at Holiday Distillery, 360 Vodka, Ben Holiday Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Make sure that you stock up on those for your tailgate this weekend. But... You can also uh, make sure that you bring those by the uh, the tailgate that we are going to be having. You can come say hi to us before the KU game from 4 to 6, west side number 778. All right, parking spot number 778. That is where the uh, Holiday Distillery slash 3 Ma tailgate will be going down this weekend. So come chat, have a drink with KCSN and Holiday Distillery. Maybe even some special guests because earlier on Twitter today, I saw Reggie Stubblefield, good old sauce boss, said that uh, he might be back in Manhattan. I threw him an invite. He seemed pretty open to it. So I don't know, guys. Maybe maybe the sauce boss stopping by the tailgate. DY, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, I see you a lot. I'd prefer the sauce boss. If you're not going to be able to go, I feel like that's a pretty adequate uh, substitution there. Hey, I, I don't <laughs> – I won't criticize you for, for preferring him over me. I still remember it might have been the TCU game. It was a road game this year where he just showed up on the field with his old uniform. <laughs> that's uh, right. I think it was TCU, yeah. Uh, D.Y., I was at the game in Fort Worth, obviously, and I had a panic attack that Josh Hayes had taken off his pads <laughs> in the locker room because number one was walking around on the sideline during warm-ups because we saw Josh Hayes go to the locker room earlier. And so – I I was. I just kept looking, and then I'm like, "Oh, that's Reggie Stubblefield. That's awesome." Uh, yeah, uh, look for us on the west side. Uh, you'll see the big KCSN tent, I believe, Holiday Distillery, Kansas City Sports Network tent. You'll see us, and if you want to meet Dy, you'll probably need to get there as early as possible because I assume he'll right. be heading into the stadium pretty quickly after that four o'clock slot. So I, I'd say you get there by four twenty if you want to meet the celebrity, Derek <laughs> Young. You guys think I could get uh, Brando to come by? No. Uh, I think we could try. I wanted to have him on the pod, uh, but I did not see a lot of uh, vocal feedback about having that done. It didn't seem like people really thought it would be that funny. I I think they thought I was genuinely like, let's have him on and asking him, you know, inquisitive questions. I was going to have him on so we could bully him. But uh, like, you know, hey, Tim, really respect you. Could you come on the three mall pod? You You know, then get him on. You should have given him the same pitch that you gave Brock Heward. I think you guys are the best tandem going in college football right now. We just want to talk about your wonderful career and how you wear stupid, ginormous bibs when you're eating in press boxes. We want to talk about all that, buddy. That's, I, would uh, pre- yeah. I would prefer it also if it was a if it was a one on one between Cole and uh, Tim Brando, just like it was between he and Brock yeah. Heward. Yes, yes. No, honestly, the better one would be me because I'm not going to lie. Like I don't. I don't think I could hold back. I really don't think I could hold back. 
I'll be honest. I, I just wouldn't want to talk with him. It might be yeah. a little quiet if it was me and him just like staring at each other. So it would it would be like the same response I get when I pitch to you about pop culture things. <laughs> yeah, probably. If, if I'm uninterested in your conversation, I'm usually just silent. Well, we just saw that off air when uh, Jed, our producer, was asking DY's favorite Christmas movies and DY just didn't talk. So <laughs> Jed, Jed learns the valuable lesson that, that I learned when I tossed to Derek about Britney Spears once upon a time on live radio. Yes, that is exactly what happened there. All right, man, this is good. Off the rails already. Uh, come see us at the tailgate, four to six, 778. Is that the right? Yeah, yep, 778. Have, have a drink with us too. Come by. We'll, okay. uh, we'll, yes. we'll serve something up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, headline number one. Let's just get this out of the way. There's been speculation. If you're reading Nebraska message boards, if, I, I guess if you're reading Nebraska Twitter, though I haven't seen it quite as much there, some of the smoke kicked up a little bit more this week about Chris Klein. But now I, I think this mainly comes from the fact that Nebraska very much would like Chris Kleiman to go there. Uh, and I don't think that it is so much reciprocal. I, even though this whole time I have been, I, do I really think Chris Kleiman is going to do that? No, I do not. Uh, but when it, when it comes up and Nebraska fans as delusional as they are chasing every single rumor every week, there's a new guy. Uh, it seems like Kleiman was kind of the flavor of the not even really week because now as we sit here on Tuesday night recording this, Feels like maybe that's turned even a little bit now, but there was like a, a hot 24 to 48 hours uh, with Chris Kleiman being the name to Nebraska there. He did not get asked about it at the, the press conference today. Um, where where do things stand, Mr. Derek Young? Uh, I'm here to make fun of Nebraska fans. You're here to use your, your big J journo skills. So uh, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Yeah, I think it's more message board culture than anything. And I also think Trev Alberts is kind of running, uh, you know, to his credit, a pretty – tucked in search and I think Nebraska media members are also getting a little desperate for information and probably trying to draw some conclusions that they normally wouldn't just based on very flimsy information just because they need the content and they're not necessarily getting it from the internal Nebraska communications centers that they typically would so I think uh, part of it is that and then just in general I believe that you know Chris Kleiman I think he's made it very clear internally to the people that matter to him, that he's not going anywhere. And I think Nebraska probably knows that at this point too. Um, I don't fault them for trying. I just don't think it's going to be successful. And, you know, those close to Chris Kleiman don't, you know, there's just no indications or signs that he is showing any reason or, you know, clues that he's going to go somewhere other than Manhattan, Kansas. I, I, I still feel that this is going to be his last job and nothing has really changed my mind on that front. And I know, Kurtz, you can probably – you know, reinforce this too. The, the even the 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 real flimsy stuff that we heard that might tie the two together was associated with something that's completely unfounded as well. So one one that I heard was like he's upset because he had to fire offense coordinator Courtney Messingham. Well, there is no vitriol between Chris Kleiman and Gene Taylor. That's what would that's you know really the the big thing that keeps Chris Kleiman at Kansas State and, and to to suggest that there's vitriol between the two. I mean, they went to the Masters together in April. I mean, that's pretty far removed from the, um, the Corey Messingham thing. So there is no bad blood there. There never was bad blood there either. Yeah, I mean, you know what I've always said, D.Y.? Ne nothing comes between a man who breaks a pimento sandwich with another man. You cannot break that bond. So I, I think that is, that's, that's pretty much uh, set in stone there. Yeah, I mean, the other part of that is like, when you told me that, I was like, okay, let me get this straight. So the offensive coordinator that forced to get rid of whatever you want to throw out there, uh, how much better is this season going? It, it seems to have been a pretty beneficial thing for Chris Kleiman to have done that. And, and Courtney Messingham is still in Manhattan, right? So, I mean, it's not like he had to like exile. Oh. It, it just, it was all pretty ridiculous. He's, he's technically in Illinois now as an analyst. Okay. He's in Champaign. Okay. Champaign. Um, okay. Is it really? Did I know that? Did that happen? I, know, I thought I thought only Sean Snyder was in Champaign. I didn't know if Sean he Snyder, went to... Sean Snyder replaced the coach that had cancer, so he's a full-time coach on an interim basis. Courtney Messingham is an analyst under Brett Bielema in Illinois. Good season on that side of the ball, for line, quite frankly. So uh, good for them. And, and, and on the side note, I don't think Chris Kleiman had to be forced to make that decision. No, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I think it was a tough one to make on a personal level, but I think he made it uh, himself. Yeah, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's bitter about having the leading offense in Big 12 yeah. land points yeah. per drive. Uh, <laughs> that's helping getting him to the Big 12 championship. Uh, I'm what sure are we he doing? Is pissed pissed off about that. <laughs> so, yeah, 
Uh, John DY, did you guys hate Trev Alberts as much as I did when he was at ESPN? I couldn't I, stand the guy. I, I your, your funny story about this, I'm sure you guys will remember. He was on ESPN with Mark May. They were the tandem that worked on in the ESPN studio together at the time that Ohio State won the national championship in 2002. And I'm just a little 13, 14 year old kid. And Trev Alberts and Mark May scorched Ohio State that entire season and said they didn't belong in the national championship game and that Ohio State, you know, thumbed their nose in it and and won the national championship. So I I always hated Trev Alberts because of that. I don't know if you guys remember that. They hated Ohio State. I mean, I, I always thought Trev Alberts was a huge asshole and I can't, can't believe he's actually an athletic director, to be honest. <laughs> so I don't know and, how he got his way into that. It's also interesting that he was the athletic director that like basically canceled the football program at his prior stop, University of Nebraska, Omaha. <laughs> Who Lance Leipold was at at one point with the head coach of Nebraska, Omaha. Trev Alberts worked mm-hmm. uh, as the athletic director and Lance Leipold was there as an assistant coach, offensive coordinator at Omaha, I believe. Yeah, so and so did Steve Standard and Connor Riley. That's how they're all kind of intertwined. Connor Riley, next head coach of the Huskers. Steve Standard. Standard. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, here's Cole. Here's what I I just the the whole message board aspect of this has really played to my sensibilities because I mean, look, I I do I grew up with message board culture, so I very much still get swept into it. But like reading some of the Nebraska stuff and seeing some of that, I'm seeing people talking about. I don't know if this means anything to you guys. Maybe Cole, pro- probably not Derek, but like they're talking about does Jim Rose still do something associated with one of the Nebraska sites? Like people were talking about Jim blanking Rose still so having cool. a voice. That is the most arrogant. So one of the greatest things on earth. Go to YouTube. Fatty for KSU had it posted up there. The 38 to 9 win in Lincoln in 2003 when case they just kicked Nebraska's ass up and down the field. Uh, Jamal Lord, L. Roberson, that whole thing. Uh, Jim Rose doing the radio broadcast of that sounded so butthurt the entire way late in the game on those calls as K-State scoring just a, and then Bo Pelini was complaining after the game about running up the score when he was the DC. Uh, just all that was chef's kiss. And like Jim Rose, I remember hearing uh, like a little two, three minute blurb that he had put together. I don't, a couple years ago about Nebraska, just the arrogance that comes off that guy and still believing that it's 1995. Like, I mean, it, I was just blown away. Like Nebraska lives in this ecosystem of uh, just the echo chamber ecosystem that they live in with their self-importance is just unbelievable. Now, again, I'm going off of what people were giving me as a synopsis of Jim Rose apparently doing something, but I just, all that blows my mind, blows my mind. That's a, that's a name that I've not heard in a long time. So I did not know he was still doing Nebraska stuff, but uh, that's interesting. You know, circling back to the climb in Nebraska stuff, I know we touched on it on the pod that we released earlier this week, and then the rumors seemed to heat up a little bit more over the the 24 hours after that. I I just I repeat the same stance that I had then is that I I just don't see him taking the Nebraska job. Gene Taylor, reason number one, reason number two, and we talked about this actually in October when this came up as a topic, uh, and Kleiman was mentioned. Chris Kleiman does not like doing all this sort of raw, raw fan engagement type stuff and activity that comes with a job like Nebraska. He has the capability at Kansas State to say no more on occasion to doing some of those things. He wants to be laser focused on his football team. He wants to win games. He's not about going out and doing a bunch of speaking events and having to go out and engage with the fans. Not that he won't do it. He does do it. But at Nebraska, there would be an expectation that he would have to do it frequently more than he does at Kansas State it's a different level of stress and a different level of distraction that occurs there that he is not really about as a football coach. So I just don't see him having interest in that. Do I think he's going to get a raise from Kansas state? I do. Uh, there's a difference between making a ton of money. Uh, well, he's going to make a ton of money either place, but making, you know, a couple million dollars more and not being as happy or still being filthy rich and being happy. And at Kansas state, he can be very rich and be much happier. And I, I think, he will stay here. He's a loyal guy. He doesn't like distractions either, as I said. And that's what the timing of this all seems bizarre to me, that the rumors heated up on the Nebraska side and all sorts of hearsay. You know, he, he is in the hunt for a Big 12 championship. It's in-state rivalry week. These next two weeks are the time where he's absolutely going to be laser focused on what's occurring on, within his football team. And I know agents have back channel conversations, but I just don't see him wanting any distractions going on right now. And so I, I don't even think those conversations are happening at the agent level in all likelihood. 
I, I don't I don't understand the agent world well enough to know about it. But yeah, I mean, we know another thing Derek has pointed out multiple times, like how how Chris Kleiman and maybe maybe Cole, you too. I, somebody has pointed it out multiple times, like how he handled things at North Dakota State, where he was like openly talking to the players about the fact that he was being courted by K-State and thinking about that. And he had the team meeting where he got the standing ovation. Like he handled it in such an open, transparent way. Uh, and I guess you can say that's at a lower level, but that was like during an FCS playoff run for climbing because I remember going and covering the FCS championship game that year uh, after he had already been hired. So like we, we've seen how he has handled things like this before. And I just don't, I mean, again, it's, it's Nebraska living in their own world. It is uh, so, so stupid. And I don't think it's really contingent on the level. Like, I mean, we've seen it, time and time again how, how it's conducted i don't think we've ever seen one conducted like that like the way climbing did when he exited north dakota state so i think that bears itself out more based on the man that he is to be quite honest and and don't forget it was important to him to coach that national championship game at north dakota state to allow him to stay on that job and nebraska probably I mean, that, that's just not going to work if he takes a nebraska job right he's not going to coach kansas state potentially in the sugar bowl there's going to be an expectation that he moves on chris climbing is an incredibly loyal guy and maybe this is being naive, but I have a hard time seeing him say to Deuce Vaughn and Eli Huggins and Daniel Green and all these fifth and sixth year guys that have been with him and the four years in the program that, hey, I'm going to abandon you guys heading into the Sugar Bowl. I, I just I, I just don't see it. I, I just I really think he'll stay at Kansas State. He'll get a new contract extension and uh, move on. It sucks that we're talking about this because the topic should be about Kansas State potentially clinching a Big 12 title berth this weekend and, and look. Nebraska and Kansas fans are getting exactly what they want. They got it. They're getting distractions here. Well, uh, no, so I, I really, I really you said that, that distracted. Yeah, I was getting well, and also you you said that to me, Cole, and I was like, I don't, dude. I mean, Leipold's doing the same. Leipold's got the same thing, except he's got Bruce Feldman talking on a podcast about Leipold being the most likely name there. You know, I mean, there's more attraction legitimately for Leipold. And again, I don't know that anybody has real concrete info on the Nebraska search. I got to give that to Trev Alberts. It seems like he's done a great job keeping it zipped up, yeah. but there, I mean, there's plenty of speculation on the other side uh, because, you know, I've been hearing this from Kansas folks that I talked to. So they're like, they seem convinced this, you know, is it Shelly Leipold? She threw out a tweet that was a couple of days ago that was like, Oh, we'll see you in the booth next year. And like, Oh, this is it. KU up their offer. They had a contract sitting out there forever. He didn't sign it yet. They up their offer. It's done. Well, then why isn't it signed and announced? You guys rushed. You rushed a Kevin Harlan video when you had pfft, nothing in terms of funding for this stadium. So you're not going to just, why would you not throw the contract extension thing out there this this week to, to get rid of the distraction? I don't. So anyway, point being cool. I, I think I, I, it, it exists for them too. I don't think it's necessarily a distraction in the locker room. I, I, I actually just mean more along the lines that we're having to spend so much time talking about it, which it is relevant to talk about, you know, and that it's becoming such a thing that we're sitting here on the, you know, four days away from going to the Big 12 championship potentially and discussing this. It, it's it's a bummer, but uh, I'm not worried about it. And I, I know the team's focused. They're locked in. But let me let me throw one last little thing out here at you, and that is how, how high does K-State go? Uh, monetarily for climbing, you think? Let's assume. Let's assume they make the Big Twelve championship game. What What's that contract going to be if If right now he's sitting at like just over four million a year? Well, I could I could throw out. I mean, look, they raised ten million dollars to buy Brad Underwood out, all right, from donors. So we we confidently said that months ago. I think if he gets to the Big Twelve championship, there's going to be plenty of donors and others willing to step forward and make this work out wherever the money comes from. So I, I think if they had to, I think they could stretch it to close to six million. It's probably what it's going to have to be, I would think, um, at least in that ballpark. But I think the bigger commitment will probably have to come from assistance for yeah. assistance. Yeah, I, I was I was just about my follow up was going to be after someone said I was like, well, they get to six. I mean that that is kind of the, the number that I had in mind, six. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see. Uh, okay. Cole, you, you got your wish, buddy. I'm moving on from speculation about coaching jobs. We're going to talk about good old X's and O's and another thing I'm very uneasy about, and that is injuries mounting in the K-State secondary because we know Kobe Savage is out for the year. And, uh, you know, game one, quarter one, without Kobe Savage was sure uh, interesting in Morgantown defensively uh, in what turned out to be a very high-scoring game. Now, Sincere Mason, who had a pick six in said first quarter, is also out for the year which is a huge bummer, a, a guy that has given K-State a lot as another FCS transfer that took a step up this year. 
Um, he put out a pretty heartfelt, you could tell he was really hurting a uh, tweet last night. Um, so sincerely wish the best for him for sure. Um, but now safety is, is very, very thin. So concern level DY with the, the safety position after we got confirmation today from Chris Kleiman that uh, Sincere Mason's on the shelf for the rest of the year. Yeah, mildly concerned at this point. TJ uh, Smith, I understand the consternation from some, but it's at least a guy that's played a lot of college football. And VJ Payne had a rough first half, but at least settled into the second half and actually played pretty well. If you go back on the rewatch, um, his first half was problematic, um, especially where he was choosing to be aggressive. And I think you like that. But then, you know, that was all concentrated on doing the wrong thing at times just because he's still learning and he needs more seasoning and more experience. And you hope that, you know, the, the amount of snaps that he played in four quarters against West Virginia will do him pretty well when he plays Kansas this weekend. So, cause I, I think you're probably going to see a lot more VJ Payne and, and the Kendra Steiger had four snaps. He's a the guy they're trying to redshirt. He's played three games. So we'll see what, what happened. He might be the guy that kind of gets strapped into playing five games and is a little over the redshirt mark. And that's also obviously, you know, can sometimes be a topic. So, no, I would say mildly concerned. And, and I'm kind of a Chris Kleiman on this. And, you know, he didn't come out and say this, so it's more reading in between the lines. But almost really the issue doesn't necessarily just come in replacing Kobe Savage or just replacing Sincere Mason. It's now that you, you, get, you lost two of those guys that can kind of spell – others because someone else has to start for Kobe Savage and since your Mason's the backup, right? So it's, it's a, it's the amount of pressure you're now putting on someone like Josh Hayes and someone like Drake Cheatham and the amount of snaps that you're going to have to ask of them. They're going to have to take 95 to 98% of the snaps on now because there's not proven depth behind them. So it's the amount of pressure and the amount of snaps that you got to put on them. And then when that happens, how, how much energy level, you know, or how much of them are you getting in the fourth quarter? Because that's probably been one of the key things for Joe Klinerman's team and why they're so good on that side of the ball for a lot of the time that he's been the defensive coordinator because they got fresh legs still, comparatively speaking, in the second half. When you're playing a lot of snaps, sometimes that's not the case. Julius Brent's played every single snap against West Virginia. Um, Drake Cheatham almost did. Josh Hayes almost did. And we're talking about Josh Hayes breaking down and man coverage more than he has all season in, in that game. And you have to wonder what, you know, does that come down to, are we not going to get the same Josh Hayes we've been getting all year because he won't have those fresh legs because he does have to play much more snaps. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a great time of year to go into this situation, right? I, I know a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, it's going to be very problematic against TCU if they make it to the big 12 championship, but it's going to be problematic I mean, against Kansas. Listen, because- don't put that evil on me, Cole. I've been worried about it for Kansas for, before the injuries even yeah, happen. Well, we, we know your paranoia with Kansas. Uh, I will say that this is, you know, Kansas does a lot of misdirection. They mess with your eyes with the things that they do offensively with their scheme. And that is a tricky spot to put inexperienced safeties out there that could get in a bra- at a bad spot um, and get put in the wrong spot on the field. And, and Kansas hits you for a big play. And, you know, I was taken aback a little bit. I, I know KU's had good good offense all year, but I was taken aback a little bit with some of their numbers offensively. And I'll, we'll talk about them later in the show. Um, but but they are definitely, you know, you could argue they're the best offense in the Big 12. Yeah, and they have lost five of their last six games, to be fair. And I don't know that Jalen Daniels is the same Jalen Daniels that we saw at the beginning of the year. He kind of looked rough last week against Texas, and maybe that's just a blip on the radar. We'll find out soon enough, right? Um, I did want to bring up, and I'm sure you guys will talk to it because I got to exit out of here in a little bit, obviously. But it, the playoff polls just were released, and they still love Kansas State. Well, I'll catch a number 12 in the playoff. Ah, that's hey, right. All right. right. That's what I thought. I thought they'd move up to 12. So that's great. Love that. Love that. Okay. So you, so you beat KU, and if you beat Kansas, are you a top ten team entering the Big Twelve championship game? And by the way, that's, yeah, that's really good for TCU if it turns out that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely it is. Because uh, when Oklahoma lost to Kansas State in the Big Twelve title in 03, K State was what fifteenth, John, and uh, oh, you still got in the national title. Teens, so, I feel like it was maybe even lower than that. Maybe like lower teens. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's great, uh, and I, I'd have to look at the schedule to see who could lose in front of K-State this week. We know they're going to jump Michigan or Ohio State. One of them is going to lose, but maybe there's someone else that drops a game and they move up again another spot or two. So 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to go look at it. I, DY, do you need to, you need to bounce or you want to, you want to answer or talk to hey. uh, headline number three? Well, why don't you, well, why doesn't he just give us his lock of the week and, uh, okay. you know, All right. score for Let, let's get his prediction too. That's right, fair. I can do third headline and then we'll do lock of the week and prediction. I'll do okay. the one. Let's okay. okay. All right. We're, we're recording this up against the basketball game, by the way, folks, if you are <laughs> wondering about that. All right. Headline number three, really, to me, is just that, like, as we're talking about here, we're speaking to it already. Everything's on the line in this, man. I mean, you're talking about the potential difference. We'll see what happens Friday with Texas and Baylor. My hopes are not very high that Baylor wins that game. But uh, you're you're talking about the difference potentially between Big 12 championship game, uh, very good likelihood that it would be the Sugar Bowl, no matter what, top 10 ranking, beating your rival, uh, all that versus losing to Kansas, having to hear about that for a year, providing them with a bunch of momentum, for Leipold, missing out on a Big 12 championship game, missing out on a Sugar Bowl. Like, that, it's just, there is, there's a lot riding on this game, man. There's a lot riding on this game. Could potentially be, I saw some some talk about this. I saw Deuce's uh, quote about this. Maybe maybe the last home game for Deuce Vaughn, right? Like, losing losing the last home game for Deuce Vaughn, Felix, Andy, DK, Uzama, some of these guys that have been around. Uh, it would just be, it makes me want to vomit thinking about it right now if you if you were to lose the game, right? But on the other hand, if you win the game, it, it would be, Absolutely awesome, and it would be a sweet celebration. So it just—I mean—the stakes are as high for this as anything any game K State's played in a long, long time. It's a heck of a curtain call. You get a lot of different things kind of colliding all at once. You got the rivalry, you you got the stakes of the of a possible Big Twelve championship berth on the line, and and it's Senior Day. Like all those things you talked about, all colliding at one point. I don't know that we've had this kind of crescendo. Um, at Kansas State in quite a while, at least since I've covered the team in 2017. We talked about how you know crazy that atmosphere was going to be for the Missouri game, and then the rain really did rain on the parade of that one of what that atmosphere could have been like. But we got really good atmospheres for the Texas game. Unfortunately, um, it happened in a loss, and and I think there was another one, Oklahoma State. Is that was that? Yeah, that was another one. So uh, they've had some really good home atmospheres this year, but. Um, there probably won't be anything like this one with it being a night game. Um, Texas could have rivaled that if Kansas State was a bit more competitive, but they went down by such a large margin early that I think it took some of the luster off. There was points in the second half where that baby got rolled out, but I don't know that it'll compare to this weekend um, with it a night game, the Sunflower Showdown. You know, one of the better KU teams in quite a while, Big 12 birth on the line, got some really good football players that could be exiting Kansas State. Could be the last time we get to watch them in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, it's obviously the highest stake game in Manhattan since the 2012 Texas game to win to go to the Big 12 champ or to clinch well, the Big 12 title. So real quick, Cole, I just want to jump in because I, I knew that was going to get brought up. I will say even this feels like different than that because we knew Big 12 championship was on the line, but that was coming off the heels of Baylor where it was like everyone had national title hopes that had just been zapped. And it was uh, yeah. it was just it was kind of deflating. It was a different sort of environment that this I think one, this one's been more of a build more of a climb yeah, yeah. you felt like maybe you were going a little sinking a little bit so I I could definitely I could definitely see that yeah yeah I mean I could I could make that case certainly I mean especially the circumstances such it's such a weird situation they had the bye week after the Baylor game so then you had to sit on that for two weeks and the only you know, uh, yeah the only thing I would say is potential tech if what if Baylor upsets Texas on Black Friday yeah, that, that might change it a little bit. It'll change it a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I think that the energy will still be. It's Kansas's best team, and you know, over a decade, fifteen years, or whatever it is. So I think Kansas State fans, it'll it'll be an electric atmosphere, especially if the rain stays away. Right now, it, it's changed again, and it looks like it's going to be a, a nice day, a nice evening. Uh, we'll keep monitoring that forecast, but I, I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere. They've sold a lot of standing room tickets. Uh, I think most of the students will probably be back as well, just because it's Kansas and they're opening the student housing early to accommodate them. So uh, I I think it's going to be great. I can't wait for it. Uh, There is a lot on the line. So it's going to be a nerve wracking day, nerve wracking evening, uh, but it will make it all the sweeter when, if you uh, pull it out and are headed to Arlington in uh, a week. So yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, that was, that's really all I had. Do you, uh, I was going to say, and this is probably the sentimental side of me showing with getting, you know, aging in my early age or my old age here at 33 years old. But I, I also will get, I think, some, you know, appreciation or at least a little bit of excitement and, and feel good inside seeing guys like Adrian Martinez called out for senior day. Um, a guy that's been through 
been through it in his college career. He obviously got that in Nebraska, but he's been through it again here at Kansas State and went through a lot of adversity. Or a guy like Daniel Green, who, man, he it, it, it was a struggle for him to even get to Manhattan. And just, you know, probably the joy that will come across them when they receive the ovations that they will receive. Those those are two that come to mind, but even someone like Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks, there, there's a lot of guys that will be announced before the game that have put a lot on the line for Kansas State in the past few years. They have several multi-year starters that are going to be recognized pregame that the crowd will erupt for just because it's a night game as well. Well, D.Y., I actually I wrote down a lot of those guys that are seniors because uh, I wanted to recognize that because uh, it's, it's pretty special, some of these guys they have on this football team and the days of the transfer portal that could have left. You know, I think of a guy like Eli Huggins, six-year playing at Kansas State. He's went through multiple coaching changes, never left came back for that six year. You mentioned Daniel Green, year five, Malik Knowles, Philip Brooks, Katori Leviston, Christian Duffy, Hayden Gillum, Nick Allen, all in their fifth year. Echo Boydo, fifth year player, Jalen Pickle, Sammy Wheeler. You think of a guy like Seth Porter, a heck of a walk-on, a great leader in that locker room, uh, has been tremendous on K-State special teams, fifth year guy. Cooper Beebe, who, who knows? You know, I, I think he'll probably be back, but that's just me speculating, but he's in a fourth year guy. Felix, Deuce. I mean, you go down the list. Ty Zentner, year four. He's been a really good player for K-State on special teams. Uh, I hope I didn't forget anybody, but, you know, Julius that's Brent. Julius Brent. Julius Brent's a heck of a corner. Been here two years, obviously. But, yeah, this is pretty special senior class that has elevated the program and gotten them on this stage. And they stuck around and didn't leave. So, yeah, I, I, I really want it for those guys, too, for this moment. Because when we met with them, D.Y., in Arlington at Big 12 Media Day, we kept asking them. You know, you guys going to get back here on December 3rd. And it's right there now to get back into AT&T Stadium, Cowboys Stadium, to uh, to play there for a Big 12 title. Yeah, man, you start going through that list and it's just like, geez, start thinking about next year, like, oh boy. But at the same time, yeah, reflecting a lot on those guys and their careers and, and everything they've given to K-State, no doubt. Okay, D.Y., your, your lock of the week. Uh, things have not been going well for, for any of us. Um, DY six and five. I'm five and six. Cole is four and seven. So uh, yeah. we're trending downward. What what do you got this week? Yeah, I got rocked by UCLA last week. You lost to the Trojans. Um, real money, kind of back in UCLA again. But I'm not picking them for my lock of the week. I'm fading Vanderbilt again, which maybe is not a good thing because they've won two SEC games in a row. That's off to the Commodores, knocking off what Kentucky and Florida. Mm. Pretty impressive. But Tennessee. They're licking their wounds a little bit, and Vanderbilt's probably there for a shellacking. So I got Tennessee minus 14. You got you got Mackenzie Milton crushing Vandy. That's what you got. That's Joe Milton, John. Joe Mackenzie's Milton. Right. Joe, Milton. Joe Milton. I'm sorry. Okay. My bad. My bad. God. Yeah, Joe Milton can do can do some things. I'd rather have Hendon Hooker, obviously, but I think Tennessee, I think they're a lot better than Vanderbilt still. Yeah. I think the line has been manipulated a little bit too much by the injury and Vanderbilt finally winning two SEC games in a row. Okay. And uh what the people really want to know, your prediction for KUK State. I'm seeing the line at, at 12 right now. Is that is that what you guys have? Mine's 12. Yeah. I I don't see Kansas State covering, but I do see Kansas State winning. So um I'll put that to bed. I think it'll be 38-30. I think a little bit of a shootout. Mm. Okay. I was about to be like, Cole, you're next, but we'll we'll save that. We'll save that. Derek's off to uh, watch some flow hoops. Boy, what a game we had yesterday. K-State's defense holding uh, uh, holding Rhode Island to negative 19 points in the first half. Uh, mm. So, And this is will not help our viewers who are going to listen to this after the game is over, obviously, but it'll help you guys. By the way, a lot of points in this one. It's 15-15, five minutes in. Okay. Well, I, I put my phone in uh, I put my phone in airplane mode, so I uh, didn't know what was going on. I did not expect it to be that high scoring because I heard Nevada was number three in the country and expected field goal percentage defensively. And so. we're a good defensive team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, K-State's yeah. hanging their hat on defense. All right, interesting. Okay. Okay. DY, get out of here. We'll take uh we'll take a break, come back. Cole and I will finish up with a little bit disjointed here, but uh we will finish up the pod with a little Kansas preview and some quick hitters, and then get to our predictions, all that coming up next. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, back. Just me and Cole now to take you the rest of the way here on 3 Ma. Uh, Cole, time for a breakdown in depth of Kansas offense and defense. Don't don't you think I let it slide past that you said, you know, I was actually surprised. I was looking at Kansas's numbers, and it turns out that, you know, you, they're actually pretty good offensively. You could uh, you might be able to say they're the best offense of the Big 12. I've been, let me just tell you guys a little story here. I've been screaming at a Cole since like week two. I, the first, who did KU at? Tennessee Tech, first week of the season. I was like, dude, they, I mean, that didn't look like Kansas. Like that looked like a that looked like a better team. Called no, nah, nah. they beat Houston, and I'm like, look, man. I mean, they're three and zero. They're they're smoking people. The offense looks great. Oh, Houston, terrible. By the way, Houston's still a shot at the AAC championship at this point in time here, late in the season. Um, and then you know it gets into conference play. And I'm like, well, you know, soft the back half of this guy. Okay, all right. I mean, at every turn, I've been trying to show Kansas. Uh, not more than an adequate amount of respect for what they've been doing because that offense scares me. It looks very, very good. I think the scheme is incredible. Now, I have also been of the opinion that it's much more about the scheme than it ever was about Jalen Daniels. Uh, I think as evidenced by the fact that Jason Bean came in and was still able to, yes, with some mistakes, certainly still mistake prone, but able to move that offense pretty well. Like, I, I don't know, Devin Neal's great. Like, they just, they've got weapons and they've got scheme. Uh, I, so... The floor is yours, Cole, but please, okay. please enlighten right. us on how good this Kansas offense is after I've been trying to say it the entire year. Well, uh, you were correct. They're, they're pretty good. I guess I, I thought their numbers would have slid some on the back half just because I, you know, there were some games where they were down by three or four scores that it looked like they were going to get blown out. And then they came back. Oklahoma, Baylor uh, are two games that I recall. And so their numbers are probably you know, a little bit better just because the defenses might've went into a little bit more of a prevent type mode, but I mean, they've been good offensively for the most part. I, I just was surprised at how balanced they've been, you know, in terms of running, how they stack up and running the football and throwing the football, you know, obviously it starts with, you know, the Jalen Daniels stuff and the, the talk we heard about him, you know, in the first few weeks of the season. And then Jason Bean came in and, and he was pretty effective. I will say that, you know, they, They've gotten away with some mistake throws that should have been picked off uh, in multiple games that I watched that they were advantageously lucky and fortunate that didn't occur. But I, I can't deny that it's, it's a pretty darn good offense. Their scheme is solid. Uh, when I've watched KU games, uh, I, I've seen some things they do schematically that I really like and was jealous at at one point when K-State's offense was scuffling a little bit. And so, you know, you look at the running game, you know, obviously Devin Neal, he's at over six yards per carry, over a thousand yards. Yeah, he's actually averaging a yard and a half more a carry than Deuce Vaughn is. We know how great Deuce is. Um, so, you know, they're they're good running the football. Let me let me just pull up the numbers. 
They're fourth in the country in pass efficiency offense. See, I mean, I think if you saw that, John, wouldn't you be taken aback if you thought Kansas was fourth in the country in pass efficiency? I mean, I no. even with no. Jason Bean having played so many games. No, because I, I, every time I look up, Jason Bean's throwing a 50-yard touchdown. Like he's just throwing a dot to the back of the end zone. I don't, I mean, he, he also, I, you know, every once in a while I'll look up and he's throwing a stupid interception, but I the guy, the guy makes plays. And Jason Bean was terrible. Ter- I mean, horrendous the, the previous years that I had watched the mm-hmm. man play football. So, yeah. Well, okay. So fourth and pass efficiency offense, K-State's pass efficiency defense heading into last week, which is actually best in the big 12. They, they slid a little bit after the West Virginia game, but they're 29th in the country and second best in the big 12, I believe now. KU is also 10th in sack percentage allowed nationally and tops in the big 12, only giving up sacks on 2.9% of their dropback attempts. Now, part of that is Jason Bean and Daniels are, are pretty mobile guys. So they're able to elude some pressure as well. Um, you know, KU 9.9 yards per pass, which is number eight nationally and tops in the big 12, 14.2 yards per completion, which is ninth nationally and tops in the big 12. Um, you know, uh, their top two receivers, Arnold and Skinner, they're both sophomores. They're bigger guys, 6'3 and 6'5, respectively. They each average over 17 yards a catch. Luke Grimm's that veteran receiver out of Raymore, Missouri, that has 80 catches in his career, over 1,000 yards. And then a guy you got to look out for is Mason Fairchild. He's their 6'5 senior tight end, or not senior, but tight end. Um, you know, every time I watch a KU game, I feel like I'm seeing them hit Mason Fairchild over the middle for a seam route. Uh, he's got over 300 yards receiving this year. Uh, Devin Neal. What, what's interesting about Neal, he's over a thousand yards and obviously he had a good freshman year too. He's on track to have a heck of a career. Uh, but he went seven games where he didn't hit a hundred yards, seven straight games where he was held under a hundred yards. He rushed for 108 in the season opener on just four carries and then didn't go over a hundred again until the uh, Oklahoma state game, I want to say. So he then had 400 yards between the Oklahoma state and Texas tech game. So he exploded uh, in recent weeks in the running game, uh, they run the ball on 56% of their snaps, um, 6.5 yards per rush over the last three games. That's number five in the country during that time span. Uh, on the season, they're averaging 5.4 yards per carry, which is number 11 in the country. And K-State is 68th in the country in yards per rush allowed at 4.4. Um, K-State has struggled a little bit defending the run over the last few weeks. You look at what Texas did and, and West Virginia found some, some holes with their running backs as well. Uh, so what, what I will say, John, if you want me to make you feel a little bit better uh, and again, Kansas, they're 20th in the country in points per drive offensively as well. Uh, when they played Iowa state and Texas, which are the two other top defenses in the big 12 against those two teams and non garbage time, KU had 17 drives and scored 14 points. So 14 points on 17 drives against Iowa State and Texas, which are the only two comparable defenses to Kansas State. If you look at the FEI ratings uh, or Bill Connolly's strength defense ratings, K-State is 11th in the country defensively overall in those metrics. Um, And then Iowa State is 7th and Texas was 17th. So comparable defenses, KU struggled to move the football. Uh, so at Kansas State has a good defense. Now Kansas State is down two safeties, so that is impactful. We don't know what that'll do to the secondary, but K State has really good corners, good linebackers, a good D line. I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate that at the end. That uh, that is that is fair. And I would also say they're getting the sort of steroid version of the K State defense, which is just playing at home. Uh, I know that that. That trend has been bucked a little bit, but really it's just the Baylor game being a major outlier there where they held Baylor without a touchdown. But before that, it was, you know, they forced, what was it, through eight or nine weeks of the season, all the turnovers forced were at home versus none on the road. So they've, they've generally been much better at home. Uh, yeah. So I, I would hope that that plays a, a pretty large role here too. Yep. Well, the Kansas defense is terrible. I do know that. Uh, so th- this part, uh, let's roll out the red carpet for you. You can, you can go right ahead with this part. All right, 3.19 points per drive allowed, 127th out of 131 FBS teams uh, for that KU defense. Um, you know, if I look at the Bill Connolly rankings, 102nd in his SP plus rankings, FEI ratings are very similar as well when you look at the KU defense. Um, six yards per play, number 112 in the country, 97th in pass efficiency defense, 110th in sack percentage. 
7.9 yards per pass allowed, 104th nationally. Um, and then I'm trying to see here the uh, the yards per carry allowed, 4.7 per rush, which is 101st nationally. Over the last three, though, they've given up 5.7 yards per carry. And if you look at the Texas Tech game and Texas game combined, they gave up about 700 yards on the ground in those two games and over six, seven yards of carry. So they've been gashed in all facets defensively. They also don't get after the quarterback. Their sack rate is tremendously low as well. Um, over the last three games, allowing uh, – actually, this isn't even our last three games. This is on the season. Uh, 200 rushing yards per game, which is 118th in the country and last in the Big 12. And over their last three games, they're giving up 267 per game on the ground, So, which is the worst among all Power 5 schools during that time range. So, yeah, it's not – it's, it's a defense that uh, has been lacking both against the pass and against the run. K-State should be able to do really whatever it wants against that KU defense. So um, whether it's run the ball with Deuce Vaughn, they should be able to have a balanced attack, and, and it'll be hard for KU to stop it. Yeah, that's that's going to be the interesting part to me. Like, which which way do you think K-State is leaning on this? Is it going to be Deuce bust back out? Especially, oh, I mean, you know, we are coming off of a – Deuce game where he looked a little banged up, maybe a half step slow. Maybe the you know weather and field conditions played into that too. But uh, I don't know. Two weeks ago he was fabulous. I, what what do you foresee there? Yeah, that's that's a really good question because I go about that too. I, I wonder, you know, late late game season, cold. Do they keep the ball on the ground more? Do they air it out? It doesn't look like it's going to be windy, so they they should be have the conditions, assuming it's not going to rain. Uh, to where they can do whatever they really want and have all things at their disposal. I will say that they're just, they've been more aggressive with Will Howard uh, when he's been the quarterback. And so they've thrown the ball in situations that I would have never expected a K-State offense to throw the ball against West Virginia. You know, there were spots where I'm begging them to just run it at that point. Like they were up 17. Fourth and one. Yeah. 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 I mean, fourth and one, and they're they're running a a one-man pop pass to Ben Sennett. I mean, up 17 in the fourth quarter. It's uh, they're they're throwing the ball sometimes on first down up seventeen. I mean they're they've been aggressive and and it's it's fun to watch. It's also a little scary sometimes when you got a guy like Deuce Vaughn and you're not giving him the football quite as much. But they still give Deuce the ball plenty. And I think I think it's going to be pretty balanced, honestly, John. I think they ever since Will Howard's been the quarterback, they've been close to fifty fifty in terms of percent of runs versus percent of play uh, passes. So I, I expect it to be a pretty balanced attack. I don't see any reason they're going to let off. You know, Will Howard passing the football to his his weapons and Senate, Knowles, Brooks, Warner, et cetera. Well, you nailed exactly why the, the Will Howard offense has been such a revelation because they are so much more aggressive and and making plays. I mean, even like the third and goal on the run, Will Howard throwing the dart to, to Ben Sennett in the back of the end zone, plays like that. Uh, and by the way, K-State uh, will not have Adrian Martinez. Chris Kleiman did say at the press conference that uh, that he is still going to be out, though he is getting better. Uh, so there, there is your update on the backup quarterback situation. Time for some quick hitters. And speaking of quarterbacks, Cole, I, I already you, you've had a test run at this question because I floated it in the group chat last night. Um, my dad actually asked me this question, and I thought hey, that's that's a great question. Um, I think we all know who the first team All Big Twelve quarterback is going to be. Guy who should be in New York. I don't know if he will be, but that's Max Duggan. Uh, who is the second team All Big Twelve quarterback this year? You know, it's it's funny that your dad actually floated this because I, I had it pop in my head, but I was going to save the question for you until after the KU game heading into the Big 12 championship. And I was going to ask you guys what you thought, because I thought Will Howard, he, he could be in the argument and the discussion if he has a heck of a game against KU. I mean, his stat line, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, over a thousand yards, completing, you know, nine, 9.1 yards per pass where he sits. I mean, I know it's still a small sample size, but you could make an argument for what he's meant to a team that could get to the Big 12 championship. I still think it would be a guy that had a, a bigger quality of snaps or quantity of snaps, though. So I, I think it would probably either be Dylan Gabriel or even Spencer Sanders, which he hasn't played well the last few weeks for sure. But I, I could see them give it to Spencer Sanders. Uh, we'll see what he does against West Virginia to close out the season this weekend. But yeah, and I, I don't think it'll be Will Howard, but it's an interesting point to discuss. Now, Will Howard goes out and throws 500 yards against KU. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I know you're, you're right. It, it, I'm, I would not bet on it being Will Howard, but I think he has 
if they beat Kansas and he has a big game, he will have as strong an argument as almost anybody. It'll be that would be basically five Big 12 games played, uh, so a little over half the Big 12 season. If you're talking about, I always tend to think of like the all Big 12 awards being about just conference games, right? And if, if you're operating under that assumption, then you know you've at least got over half of the games, but it's still. It's like uh, if you if you had another game or two in there, I think it would make a well, pretty big difference. I, I would say this, John: if you could mold the body of work that Adrian Martinez and Will Howard did together, those the, the K State quarterback room has been all Big Twelve worthy for sure. Because I mean, you look at over six hundred rushing yards by Adrian, twelve hundred yards passing, just one interception, six touchdowns. I mean, you look at the K State quarterback numbers of Will Howard and Adrian Martinez. You're talking about eleven touch or seventeen touchdowns three interceptions and over 2,400 yards passing. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's a second team, at least all big 12 type numbers, but unfortunately it's been split between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, I, for sure. Second team, all big 12 number. Uh, part of the reason there, I think he hesitates is like Max Duggan's just been so good. And yeah, but you know, some years, maybe, maybe even uh, first team, all big 12 kind of good. Uh, okay. What was the more fun blowout of Kansas Cole? Was it, I, I picked out what I think are the three best that we've had here in, in the, post post bill snyder era 1995 2002 or 2010 hmm. 59 to 7 in 2010 thursday night that was a total shock i i think i mean we expected kansas to be or k-state to be better than kansas at that point in time but i didn't think 59 to 7 better in the the first turner gill uh v bill snyder matchup 41 to 7 in 1995 both teams were in the top 15 that was a huge game uh, in case they just waxed Kansas and then uh, 64 to nothing by midway through the third quarter in 2002, that game that we all remember uh, against Mark Mangino in his first year. Yeah, I'm going to, I would include 95 and 2002. And then Mangino's second year, I believe. Second year. Yeah. Yeah. I would include those two. Um, and then I, I, I could certainly make a case for the Thursday night game. I was in the press box of that one. And I remember there was an energy around Kansas. I think it was Turner Gill. Was that Turner Gill's first year? I believe it was because because uh, 2009 that was still Mangina that was that team that tanked at the end of the year for yeah K and then they they fired him and then Turner Gill took over and and there was an energy in the stadium and then K State just took it to him and I think I even recall Colin Klein getting a snap and running for 60 yards at the end um, and just blew him out I think you could make a case for 2019 Les Miles first season just because yeah, there was kind of a you know I I would I, I might include that I was there for that one too just because there was kind of a cockiness among KU fans and excitement about Les Miles. And then, you know, I, I remember not sleeping that well that night, uh, being a little bit nervous for that game. And then K-State just left no doubt from the onset and uh, completely whooped them. So I, I, I could rank that up there as well. Well, you didn't give me a choice. Well, Eric, you said I have to pick the number one or top three. Yeah, no, which is your favorite? Uh, I'd say the 64 to nothing game. Really? Yeah. Here, here's the thing. If I were going like my head, my head would say 1995. The, the problem is I was six years old and well, I was definitely, you know, I was like Brody at that time. I mean, I was into it and I was, I was watching it. I'm, I would, I'm sure I was there at the game. We went to, to virtually every home game at that point in time and had season tickets, but it's more like I, I have watched the, the highlight tape 150 times and, and have memorized all the Mitch Holtis calls from that game. Forget the first down, go for the business. Uh, all that stuff that I that I love from that game, um, but for for me experiencing it, I was in the student section in Lawrence in 2010. So like that was, and this is you know my that was into my college experience. My freshman year of college, I went through 2007 where I brought you know a buddy of mine from KU into the student section. That whole fiasco, we know how that game went, and a terrible memory. So it was like into my college career, I get to go out by. I mean, look, I was. My Twitter persona, uh, just that personified in a person, but plot me in the middle of the KU student section. That's that's kind of how I was acting uh, at that point in time. So it was very fun. By the end of the game, I got up to the front row of the student section because obviously everybody cleared out. Uh, the booth was not packed by that point in the game. And somebody had left a sign that said, fear the web. And it had a bunch of glitter spider web because uh, Kansas's quarterback was Jordan Webb. So I was sitting there like, standing on the front row of the student section with this fear of the web sign, like trying to shake it for the cameras and stuff. So personally for me, I just think that was, I had the most fun with that one. So I'd, I'd give a slight, a slight edge to that. Yeah. 
I could, I could say that. Look, 95, and, and I actually typically remember most of the games that I watched or was at as a kid growing up, and I would have been nine years old for that game. And, you know, it's it's always kind of eluded me, and I, I don't know why. I, I don't know. If I, I've, I've rewatched it, but I, I don't – it's one of the few K-State games of my childhood that I don't remember all that well. I don't, I don't know why. If I wasn't watching it for whatever reason, I can't believe I wasn't, but I, I, I wasn't there. And so that that's always uh, my brother actually texted me this week and asked me if I could find the YouTube of the 95 KU game. It's one he remembers fondly because he wants to rewatch the game and I couldn't find it for him. Um, so I don't, I don't know that the whole game is out there. I think I have a VHS tape of the entire game somewhere, but you, you can find the, the 1995 season highlight tape is out there. So you can watch yeah. like a three or four minute synopsis of it. Uh, if anybody has it or finds it, let me know. At Hill Kurtz on, uh, on Twitter. Um, what were you doing, Cole, on November first, two thousand and eight? The last time K State beat Can- or Kansas beat K State, rather. I was at the game. I was. Oh. Uh, oh, I was. <laughs> I was in the uh, the K State. Well, let's see that two thousand eight. That was in that was in Lawrence, right? Yeah, so that, I, that was Josh Freeman trying to stick the ball over the goal line and getting it punched out. It was like oh, what, like fifty six twenty one or something. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, I uh, I covered that game. And the uh, in the press box in the Collegian, I would have been a, a senior at Kansas State. Um, covered that game. Uh, K State correspondent for the Capital Journal too, as well, I believe. And so, yeah, I was in the press box for that. I I just remember I uh, I dragged my brother and sister in law to the game, and they had to sit in the stands. They rode with me, and you know, used my parking pass, and they sat in the stands, and I endured it in the press box. So yeah, I, I went to all three of those games. John, 06, I was. Uh, sitting right next to Josh Freeman's family, actually, uh, in the stands in the K-State section for that game. So I had haunting memories of that bell ringing when oh, uh, John John Cornish would uh, score touchdown after touchdown. Canada's finest, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, was, I was there in 06. I was there in 07. I was not there in 08. John was pretty checked out on uh, Ron Prince football by about game two or three. I think the Louisville game was probably what did it for me, which was in yeah. obviously the non-con that Thursday night game at Louisville where they ran steps or whatever when they came back. Yeah, uh, I was pretty done, hated the purple pants, just hated all of it. And I was actually at the time I was dating. Uh, I was dating a girl that played soccer at Tulsa. So I was making a lot of trips to the campus in Tulsa. And that was a weekend I was like, look, I'm just coming to see you. I'm not messing around with the game. I didn't even really watch it. Um, I was just out. I didn't. Smart move. Yeah. yeah I was very- I was checked out. I was checked out, too. It was hard to cover those teams. Yeah. Uh, what would you rather watch, Cole? Uh, would you rather watch a Flow Hoops broadcast or any Tim Brando broadcast? Uh, which, which one are you taking there? Uh, I definitely uh, I think I'd definitely rather watch a Flow Hoops broadcast. And that's. <laughs> And that's coming from somebody that has still never watched a Flow Hoops broadcast. All right, I, I have not paid the thirty dollars. I didn't watch the Twitch stream last night. Shout out to uh, to Greg, I believe he was streaming. Maybe I shouldn't shout him out. I don't want him to get busted. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to watch that after we get done recording. Watch the end of this Nevada game for K State. Uh, but yeah, I, I have not watched a Flow Hoops broadcast. But that tells you how much I despise Tim Brando because I, I, you know. I'm sure the secondary market ticket prices probably uh, took a sore when they saw Tim yeah. Brando was calling the game. You know, you could yeah. raise the prices even more because no one wants to watch that. Well, look, I mean, I I work in marketing now these days. I I would also choose a Flow Hoops broadcast. And when compared to a Tim Brando broadcast, I could actually sell you like, okay, does it look like Flow Hoops was produced by the Topeka West High School AV department? Yes, it does. Uh, no offense, Topeka West. I just pulled a random score, but. <laughs> Yes, it does. However, I can make you the argument that, you know, compared to Tim Brando, it's, you know, it's nice and quaint. It's a quaint little broadcast. They were, they were glowingly positive about K-State yesterday. They love them, the cats. So, you know, flow hoops frustrating as it may be at times. I will, I will take that all day, every day. Getting out. If we threw Tim Brando on a flow hoops broadcast, now you've got quite possibly the worst broadcast that has ever been create yeah well i i that's actually where i hope tim brando goes i hope he ends up at flow <laughs> flow football or something you know and and flow hoops so we don't have to see see him ever again so i i i'll be interested you know he hasn't called a k-state game since the tcu game and his stupid ass tweets and the things that he said so i'll be curious how he actually treats that yeah. I, I don't think of him as the consummate professional so i would not be surprised if he throws shade 
on the broadcast. You know, he seems to take things a little personal. I'm expecting it. I expect it at some point, man. Uh, and it is, you're right. It's the first time he's, he's going to be on since his tweet, uh, calling basically calling Adrian Martinez a quitter, uh, because he, yeah, was, because he was you. so butthurt about not getting a heads up on Adrian Martinez being hurt going into the TCU game that, yeah, it was just don't, don't even, don't even get us started. You guys, you guys know where we all stand. All right. We've got a lead pipe lock of the week to get you. We've got a prediction to get you. First, we need to take a break. We'll do that in just a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, back here on Three Mont, John Kurtz, Coleman Beck. We already got uh, Derek's lead pipe lock of the week. I already forgot what it was. What was it? Uh, Tennessee. That's right. Uh, minus fourteen against Vanderbilt. That's right. Uh, and you know what? I shouldn't mock it because Derek is six and five. I'm five and six. Cole is four and seven. I'll I'll step up to the plate, even Cole, and give you mine. Remember our friends, the Tulane Green Wave. They are two point road dogs at Cincinnati in a in a huge game. Winner that game would get to host the uh, AAC championship game. It's it's turned into a crazy race thanks to UCF losing to Navy last week, who did not yep. complete a pass in in said victory. Shades of 2019, uh, bringing back some bad memories there. But I I'm taking Tulane. I, I know they 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 had the the loss mixed in there to to UCF, but I think Tulane is pretty good. They got it all out of their system last week. My goodness on uh, on SMU and since he has just been like skating by. Yeah. Last week, I think they won by like 20, but it was Temple, uh, who's who's terrible. But they've, they've really skated by with a lot of single-possession wins over some mediocre to bad AAC teams. It feels to me like like this is a spot where Tulane gets one over on them. So I'm yeah, a one-team favorite. Yeah, it's definitely not the same Cincinnati team that we saw last year, obviously. And, and their quarterback, I believe, is rumored to be out. They're starting quarterback. So I think the pick for Tulane is a good one, especially after how Tulane bounced back against UCF and everything's on the line go to the uh, AAC championship and with UCF losing Tulane could be the highest ranked group of five team and if they win and win the American Athletic Conference championship they'd be going probably to a New Year's Six Bowl so there's a lot on the line for them you know you're talking about an 11 win regular season with a conference championship not a 10 win regular season and then conference championship you get to 11 so yeah a lot there to, to play for obviously helps K-State's resume I mean you look at K-State's I think part of the reason they're getting respect is because you look at their losses and it's TCU, which is number four in the poll and Tulane, which they have a lot of respect for too. So they don't have any bad losses, Kansas state. My uh, lock of the week should no longer be called a lock of the week. It's a complete joke. I've, I've lost five in a row. It's not even competitive. Uh, in fact, here's my picks the last two weeks. I'll, I'll just throw myself under the bus. Took Miami. Uh, plus seven and a half over Florida State, and they lost 45 to three. <laughs> Last week, I took Kansas plus nine, and they were down 55 to nothing at one point and lost 55 to 14. You combine it, and my two lead pipe locks of the week were a plus 16 and a half combined and lost by 83 points combined. So uh, it's, it's bad. I don't know why you would want it anything to do with my lead pipe lock of the week. I mean, uh, the teams I pick are awful, and you know why I'm gonna I'm gonna head a direction here. I'm gonna take Kansas plus twelve. What Kansas State? What? You know where I'm going with this? What are you John? doing? What are you doing? Okay, you know, yes, I, see, I see what you're doing. I, I don't need to explain it. I, I don't need to. I, you can't go into the explanation of it, or uh, you know, okay, it doesn't work. Okay, so like I, a no, I like a no hitter. Yeah, it's like a no hitter. You just every, every everything is on the line. 
for the Jayhawks. I mean, you know, and I say everything on the line in terms of wrecking Kansas State season, their hopes and dreams, Big 12 title. Lance Leipold's a good coach. It's his last game, regular season game at the University of Kansas before he takes a Nebraska job. I, I kid, I kid. Um, I'll take Kansas plus 12 uh, in this game. So, All right. I think that is the third straight week one of us has taken Kansas because I took them the week before at Tech. I thought they were going to win at Tech. So back-to-back uh, -back weeks, they've burned us. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I'll say. Okay. It's your prediction then. You've got Kansas covering. Uh, so I, I imagine you have it closer than a 12-point spread here for your, your prediction. Well, i got to keep it in the number, right? So I'll take Kansas State, 38, KU 27. Are you kidding me? That is exactly what I have on my sheet. I had it at uh, I had it forty one thirty, and then I I literally in my head I, I heard Dy saying because I think he said it on the last pod he was like eh, you know in rivalry games it tends to get a little bit tight so like lower scoring perhaps than you might think and I was like eh, okay I'll knock off a field goal <laughs> so I <laughs> thirty eight to twenty seven. Still felt like there were going to be a lot of points. Well, there you go. Your lock of the week's Kansas too. Eleven points. I mean, it's right there. Stay yeah. within one point. Would take. I would take it. I would definitely take it. All right. Uh, I think. I think. I, I think. I would prefer it though if it was like thirty-eight to twenty and KU tacked on a touchdown on the last like couple minutes. I don't. I don't really. I don't have a lot of interest in a you know two-score game throughout. So what, what you're saying is you would prefer that it turns into the uh, – what was Les Miles – I keep wanting to say sm a smacker Miles touchdown. It was not a smacker Miles touchdown. It was – I don't know. What was his kid's name? Ben? I don't even know. I don't, I don't remember, remember that. He, he snuck in. It was 38-3. to three and, and you, you and me were on this – you and me were walking across the end zone down on the sideline, I think, when that happened. They hand, they, he called a timeout to get his son uh, a touchdown on a fullback dive. So went, uh, Yeah, went, went full Drinkwitz on it. You know, or was it his was his son the quarterback? I, I can't. Oh, his, his son, I think, was the quarterback. <laughs> Mark? I don't know. He got his son a touchdown by yeah, calling the time out there at the end of the game. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's the route that you're going for there with that. Okay. A little backdoor cover. I don't know. Does Leipold have a kid on the team? I don't. I don't know if he does. I don't think so. He's also not the uh, not the type to probably. Yes. Yeah, no. That. That's the thing. Like I, Leipold's a respectful coach. Lightful, yeah. the guy that you can respect. He's uh, he's right. no less miles. He's no less miles. All right. Again, come see us at the tailgate. Uh, Three Ma Holiday Distillery KCSN tailgate, four to six on uh, Saturday. West Side spot number seven seventy eight. Come hang out, have a drink with KCSN and Holiday Distillery. Maybe see uh, some celebs. I don't know. We'll see what kind of pull we have there, but uh, it'll be a really good time. Come say hey, uh, introduce yourself, chop it up with us uh, before the game, and uh, see just how. Nervous and neurotic, uh, we all are just a couple hours ahead of that game coming up on Saturday. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I don't even think we mentioned the fact that Thanksgiving's coming up here, this in, this entire pod. Um, a happy Egg Bowl to you and yours on Thursday as well. I'm extremely fired up about that, as I always am, especially yep. with Lane Kiffin's Twitter <laughs> antics this week. Uh, could not be any better. So appreciate the work behind the scenes from Jeb Marshall, Tucker Franklin. Uh, appreciate Cole Manbeck, Derek Young. This has been another three mod. We'll talk to you soon, hopefully, about a Big 12 championship game. See you then. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.